Thank you, uh, Brother Stephen, uh, for leading us in those songs of worship, and appreciate the, uh, the song that I didn't recognize. It was not familiar to me, but I just I love that, the lyrics of that very rich song, The Anchor of My Soul, that just comes out of Hebrews. I was like, man, I know that's in Scripture. I had to go bring out my Bible concordance software, like, oh, search for that one. And then I found it in Hebrews 6, like, wow, this is a rich, rich truth. So thanks for introducing that song to, to me, and I trust it's kind of new for some of you out there as well, but wonderful, just a picture of Jesus Christ. It's an anchor of our soul. Uh, it's a sure and foundation, a sure rock to hold on to. What a wonderful truth. Thank you. Uh, we praise God for the opportunity to worship him to, uh, to Him and his, and his son this morning. Uh, this we, today and this weekend, we've had a special guest with us, uh, a, a Pastor Mike Chow. He is uh, officially our, our candidate, pastoral candidate for uh, our associate pastor position. And uh, he uh, is, uh, will be visiting us not only this weekend, but uh, also a weekend in November as we discern and seek after God's will. Uh, you know, I know that uh, you kind of think about when we look for a pastor, and, and we I tell you as, uh, you know, and maybe you know it too, but we, we, need other, we need some pastors. We need some fellow shepherds to come alongside. Uh, I need a fellow shepherd to come alongside myself and Pastor Roger as well. We just, uh, and we're just praying for God's will. We, we want God's will to be done. We want God's, God to lead us in this whole process. And I, I ask you, and hopefully you are, you're praying along with us. Uh, when uh, uh, we, Especially this weekend, I love just how God orchestrated that, hey, this, this week, pray for your elders. You know, we, we're constantly praying through things like uh, subjects like the calling, but also just uh, you know, what the Lord would have us do in the church. Um, but to tell you a little bit about Pastor Mike, if you don't know him, you weren't here either Friday or Saturday. Pastor Mike uh, is has been for the the last nine years the pastor, not only the the church, uh, one of one of four uh, church planting pastors and uh, pastors of a church called Pathway Bible Church. He was a tent making pastor for all those years, so he's basically working full time and doing the ministry with in part time. Uh, he uh, he is someone that is a he's a in his training, he is a graduate of the Master Seminary. He graduated uh, with the Master Divinity in 2001. He's a husband of nearly 20 years, a father of five children, two boys, uh, and three daughters. So uh, he is a man who has, a, well, after, in, if you can just think about it, he has a, a breadth of experience as far as life goes, uh, family life goes. Uh, and we've asked him to come and uh, to uh, consider the position of our, our associate pastor with primary responsibilities of our uh, youth ministry as well as our family ministry. Family that is uh, families with young children. So uh, hopefully you had a chance to meet him. Uh, and uh, but uh, this morning we are just privileged to have him come and uh, bring God's word to us. And I, I just, if I could say as your pastor this morning, you know, since he is candidating. I know all of us have our uh, critical, you know, eyes and ears open, okay? And I, that's great. I praise God for that. Y'all should be critical, but we don't want to be critical, okay? You know what I mean? Because uh, God is going to be speaking through the word this morning. Uh, Pastor Mike is just the vessel. Uh, let's make sure we hear God's word and prayerfully hear God's word just uh, as, uh, as he, I've been praying for him that he would just minister the word of God to us this morning, that... Uh, he would just allow, or that God would allow his word to go forth, and that at the end of the day, you won't even see, you won't even think, who gave that word, that message? I don't know. 
but man, what a wonderful Savior we have. What a great example Christ is. Anyways, Pastor Mike's coming up to uh, come and share with God's Word with us this morning. And uh, if you have time later on this afternoon, please stick around. We're going to have our Q&A with him and then into our church family meeting. So uh, let's welcome Pastor Mike Chow to the pulpit this morning. All right, I'll do it again for the recording. Good morning. Good morning. I praise the Lord that I get a chance to be here with you. Um, no doubt, it's certainly it's been a busy weekend. I'm not going to tell you different. But uh, first thing I want to make sure that I want to thank the leaders of SFBC to allow me to preach this morning. Um, the reason why I say that is because... Um, I understand as, as, uh, as leaders of a church, you protect your sheep. Your leaders care about your growth in Christ. I have seen it. I have heard from them. And for them to open the pulpit for me to teach, they're saying, I'm entrusting the flock to you this morning. And I don't take that lightly at all. So I, I understand the, the pressure in the light of that. I need to handle God's word rightly so that this body will be edified and God will be magnified, right? But let me add one more thing before I go into the text. I think I want to echo what Pastor Henry said. I understand I'm on the hot seat, but it's not about me this morning. It is about worshiping God. So by God's grace that we will look into God's word and worship the author of this book. I ask you, if you want to evaluate me, it, could be, it doesn't matter to me. It could be from the hairstyle that I have or lack of it or to the hair on my chin, right? It really doesn't matter. You can think about it later, but let's worship the Lord together. Would you open your Bible or open, turn on your Bible? Matthew chapter 4, please. I have a privilege to be able to... The ushers have Bibles. I appreciate that if you need a Bible. Matthew chapter 4. This is a reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 1 to 11. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and and on their hand or on their hands they will bear you up, so that you would not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse eight. Again the devil took him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, Angels came and began to minister to him. Let's pray. Father, we just read your word. We're so thankful that you have recorded what your son has done in the midst of the beginning of his ministry. I pray by your grace that we will understand it in the totality of what he went through. And what does that affect us? Father, may you speak to your people. May you grant me wisdom. But thankful for the chance to be able to talk to you and and study your word and, and be ministered by your word personally. Father, by your grace, that your word would pierce hearts. We have submitting souls to you. May you be glorified, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you imagine, the title of this message is The Testing of Jesus. And maybe in some of your Bibles, have a title that says Temptation of Jesus. Test and Temptation is certainly a Similar words, but as I looked up, Oxford Dictionary says, take measure, the word test is a verb that I'm using, take measures to check the quality, performance, or reliability of something, especially before putting into the widespread use or practice. No doubt, this testing is not somebody to say, well, which one's better, but it's so much more, well, it's more so much which one is better. So, Jesus is being tested. The Son of God is being tested. See, I think there's a pretty simple passage, right? And I'm sure you've read this before. And if we take it simply, you could just outline it like Satan gave three tests. Jesus gave three answers. Jesus won and Satan lost. Let's go in a little more detail. Satan tested Jesus three different ways. Jesus' Jesus' rebuttal was with God's word. Jesus was cared for in the end. As you can imagine, maybe I should just close in prayer now, right? But as we look deeply, it's it's been monumental to me. And earlier uh, on Saturday, asking that what has been impacting me, this passage has been impacting 
my life. But let's go deeper, okay? I want to, every time that there's a test, I want to ask two questions. What is really being tested? Number two, why Jesus gave those answers? Let me do it again. Every test, I'm going to ask two questions. What is really being tested? Why Jesus gave those answers? If you look at your Bible again, verse 1 and 2 would give us a setting. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. As you know as well as I do in this church, you understand the book of Matthew is about Jesus as king. And if you quickly just flip through from chapter 1, Talk about Jesus' genealogy, how important he is in the midst of his lineage. Chapter 2, how important is his birth? Chapter 3, how there's a forerunner talking about this important person, son of God, comes. And you kind of go, wow, I'm expecting this pattern to happen, right? That Jesus will be magnified in chapter 4, which it does. But what does it say in verse 1? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Well, let me back up a little bit. Even in chapter 3, he was in the baptism inaugurated by John the Baptist, also by the Trinity, right? Holy Spirit came down as a dove, right? And the Father would say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The reason why I say that is because as we just read it, the devil is going to test him about if you are the son of God. We just heard from the father's mouth, the heavenly father's mouth, if you will. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But sure enough, Jesus was led up by who? By the spirit, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. The wilderness is not something that maybe we, I understand very clearly, but the wilderness is a desert to be tempted for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. It sounds strange to me, doesn't it? Christ just started his ministry, no longer a carpenter. Out of everything that he's used to, knowing that he's going to have to start his ministry, starting by testing by the enemy. And not only that, right? Verse 2, that after he has fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Going into the wilderness with no sustenance, that's his condition. And he knew that. Some people will say that he would, might have been fasting for a purpose of concentrating and just worshiping the Lord. We don't know. The text just tells us he was without food. 
So physically, he is tested already beyond the devil. How do you feel when you're hungry? What is your mood? I can honestly tell you, I sometimes I have to concentrate to be kind when I'm hungry. Then I ask you, then you kind of wonder, well, is this factual? Is this more of a vision thing? Because can a person really sustain sanity in 40 days, 40 nights without food? Certainly, I've done some digging and plenty of commentaries would point to some medical journals. In 1997, editorial of a British medical journal briefly reviewed the available literature regarding human starvation. Generally, it appears as though humans can survive without any food for 30 to 40 days. This is from Peter, I'm going to say his name, Jack Whiskey, PhD. And I, I also listened to one of the sermons that regarding this, that there are different prisons that make sure that after 30 to 40 days, they force feed the prisoners. The reason why I add that is just make sure you understand that this is not some vision or some story. This is exactly what Christ went through. But we will get to our first test. And let me title each of the tests. First one is testing of Jesus' physical need. Testing of Jesus' physical need. Second is testing of his trust or testing Jesus' trust. Lastly, the third one, testing Jesus' preservation. Testing of Jesus' preservation. Testing of Jesus' physical need, testing of his trust, and testing of Jesus' preservation. Let's go to verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The tempter himself is addressed as one who is already a tempter, a tester already. No doubt we saw earlier in verse 1 is the devil. Let me stop it real quick. The Holy Spirit led him there knowing that the devil will take over. This is a test. But the testing comes from the devil. Make no mistake, the devil would take advantage of this. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The question is not so much to say, well, are you really the Son of God or should I be looking for somebody else? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, since you are the Son of God, you should make these bread, these stones into bread. He knows that Satan knows his condition. He says, since you are the Son of God, since this Father, your Father already told you you're his well-pleased Son, make these stones into bread. The issue right now, he certainly is asking him, do what you can do. You can do that. It's not the issue of capability, right? If we cheat and look through the rest of the book, he turns water into wine. 
he fed the multitude of 3,000 to 5,000, right? And the 5,000. Feeding one is not an issue of power, but it's an issue of reasoning. Why is it wrong to feed himself? He tells us why. Verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. As you remember, every time he would bring his rebuttal to this, his test, he says, it is written on my NASB. The tense of it, it says, means it's it really better described in English. It stands written, meaning that something has happened in the past and has an effect all the way to the present. Something has happened in the past, the effects of what happened continue on to do now. So he's saying, what has been written affects me now. What did he say? It stands written, and he quotes the Bible. Scripture, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that precedes out of the mouth of God. That's from Deuteronomy 8. Now, it's interesting. He brings the answer of the Old Testament in play. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. As you can remember, Moses is exhorting the Israelites. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go, into the, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know that what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3. He humbled you and let you be hungry. And fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your father know that he might make you understand. Here it is. That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Love that, right? He brings scripture into play. What has God written affects me now. And I'll comment on that a little bit more. Like I promised you, what is really being tested? On one side, he can take care of his hunger. The other side is a trust in what God has said. Now, uh, let me make be fair, right? The, the text says, "Do not man shall not live on bread alone. He didn't say, you should not live on bread, but only on the Bible. He didn't say that. He's saying that do not live on bread alone. It just can't be bread only, but on everything, everything that comes out, that proceeds out the mouth of God. God said that he will provide. He has Proven himself to provide to the, for the Israelites. 
You heard it, right? It is to test you that you will keep my commandments or not. Let's go to why Jesus gave those answers. He chose this answer because he has already been taught through the Israelites that God will provide. He does provide. He allowed the test to be done, proving them to trust in God himself. Jesus paralleled himself with the Israelites. But some of the clues, right? 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days and nights. They failed. Christ became a victor of that. Let's keep moving. Testing of his trust. Testing of Jesus' trust. Verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will rear you up, bear you up excuse me, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The second test, testing of Jesus' trust. When, Jesus, when the Bible says that the devil took him, see, earlier the devil just spoke to him. But it's interesting now that he's going to get a little bit more physical. Then the devil took him to the holy city. The holy city is known as the Jerusalem, synonymous to the city of Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle, top of the, of the, temp, of the temple. We, it's not specified what temple. And we have to go look back at that day. The temple might even be Temple Herod's a portico. And we have to figure out, well, how high is really high that he's talking about? The pinnacle of the temple. Um, we have to guess. It might be the southeast corner of the city, where right on the edge of the city with the highest temple point. But it gives us the, its height because the highest point of the temple versus outside of the valley. As you can imagine, the valley is lower than the ground. Some would guess that it would be about 560 feet or so if that is the valley, the Kidron Valley that the devil took him. But the reason why I'm not confident of that, no doubt I didn't say it in the word, but also you kind of wonder later on in the third temptation, you're kind of wondering, was this a vision? Because later on he's going to say he's going to take him to see all the kingdoms of the world. The fact of the matter, the test is still very real. And Jesus answered him. Verse 6. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written. Ha, huh, you heard that before. The devil says, Okay, you want to bring the Bible into play to this on the first test? Let's play the same game. It stands written also, Jesus. What does it say? He will command his angels concerning you, and their hands they will bear you up, and so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil quotes Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. It does say, say this, For he will give his angels concerning you, right, to guard you in your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, and that you do not strike your foot against a stone. He's right. 
God will protect you. In the context of that psalm, he is right. God will protect his own. But Psalm 91 never said that you should throw yourself down. You see, the saying use God's word with a song, with one verse, want to deal with the fact that you're going to test God. And I will say to you, brothers and sisters, we need to be careful. We come up with a doctrine of a teaching by one verse from a song. You should be leery. Not to say that you take lightly the fact that God does provide and protect his children. That's why Jesus answered. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written. Jesus said, same thing. It stands written. It stands written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He said, it's already been taught. And he goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 6. If you know the Bible well enough in Deuteronomy, that is the Shema. Shema Israel, the Jews' go-to verse, talking about God being one. And I read to you, Hear, O Israel, Shema, it is the hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Moses continued to exhort God this way. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them, and when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and you, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontal on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's that important. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, huge cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God. You shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, as the, the anger of the Lord, your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Here it is. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. As you tested him in Massa, then you kind of go, well, what happened in Massa? We need to go back to Exodus 17. That's the story where Moses continued to take care of the Israelites, but the Israelites would continue to complain. You have to understand, in this context, chapter 16, he already provided manna. He provided quail for them. But yet, we get to chapter 17, the whole community set out to the desert of sin, traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded, and they camped in the Rephidim. 
there was no water for the people to drink. Chapter 17, verse 2. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink, Moses. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? And the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, Why do you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord as often he did, he, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take into your hand the staff which you have struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it and, the people, and, and out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did in the sight of the elders of Israel. That's what happened in that sense. God has proven himself. We want water. Why do you bring us out here? God needs to do what I want because I need, I want. See, God will do it again. See, the devil knows that if you could discredit God's character in the care of Jesus, then you, he started a rift between the Son and the Father. But God has proven himself already. It stands written, right? That God will continue to be faithful to his own character regardless how we feel, how insecure the situation may make us. Well, let's, let's do my two questions. What is really being tested? On one hand, you are the son of God, and the Bible says God will send messengers to take care of you, which is true. And it is from the Bible. On the other hand, are you going to try to bend God's arm and make him do what you want so you will feel secure? Maybe you should put yourself in harm's way so that God will do something to prove himself. Why did Jesus, why Jesus gave those answers? Jesus gave those answers because it's been taught that God will care for his own. There's no difference between the Israelites or him as the son of God. If God, the father, has care for his children, the Israelite in the desert, he could care for the son of God in the desert. Well, that was the second. Let's go to the third. Testing of Jesus' preservation. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him up, took him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Let's kind of finish what Jesus said. 
And Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The third test. Again, the devil, the third time, would take him. Well, the second time would take him. He took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Another location that we might not know exactly because it didn't give us the exact location. So in a light that, a lot of people think this might be the vision. He might have taken him to the mountain to see because there are no mountains you could be able to see the, all the kingdoms of the world. And it's interesting enough that the devil would say that I will give all these kingdoms to you. Does that mean the devil owns all the kingdoms of the world? And I would say temporary. Second Corinthians 4.4 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the believer so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displayed the glory of Christ who is the image of God. God of this age. In Luke 4 also has a count of this temptation. And I want to read to you. Let me get there real quick. In verse 6 in chapter 4, Luke, he says, And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and this glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. You hear arrogance? He showed him to all the kingdoms of the world. But the condition is, verse 9, back in Matthew chapter 4, he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Satan wants to give him all the kingdoms of the world. The condition is to bow down low and worship him. Bow down. Humiliate yourself. Put your physical self low to the ground, lower than this subject to show submission and surrender. And what will he gain? What is that for? He will gain the kingdoms of the world now rather than later. So what, what is the two things? And I'll bring that up again. What is at stake? Worship, devil worship versus what? Well, worship versus a painful future death on the cross. Well, we come back to that. Then Jesus said to him, this is what Jesus said, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love the fact that Jesus said, You need to leave. Go, Satan. Sure enough, in verse 11, he did. But it stands written. What stands written? You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. A lot of people think that Jesus has paraphrased in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. We read that earlier, and let me read it to you again in verse 13. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him only. Uh, you worship him, excuse me, and swear by his name, and you shall not follow other gods. Verse 14. And any god of gods of the people who surround you. 
See, in the midst of Moses exhorting the Israelites, you are my people. You're solely supposed to worship me alone, the who cared for you, not the people all around you with many gods, so-called gods, conjured up deity. Jesus used what has been taught to say, look, I don't worship anybody else except God, the Father, God of the Bible, the God who cared for the Israelites. What is really being tested? On one hand, all the kingdoms of the world will be on the table for him. Jesus would bypass the rest of the New Testament. On the other hand, suffering is still ahead before Christ. Dealing with the knuckleheads of the 12 disciples, right? Look at verse 12. It already started. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew the Galilee, into Galilee. The persecution already started with John. Why Jesus gave those answers? Because the Israelites were constantly being warned, exhorted to be, have a monolithic, oh, excuse me, monotheistic perspective. Only one God you worship, and not just to subscribe any other deity around. This is the God who heard their cries. This is the God who chose them, not by their quality, but out of charity who delivered them and provide for them. And this God who chose them, to be his, chose them to be his own. Hear, Israel, the Lord God. The Lord is God and the Lord is one. This is the only God that you need to embrace and worship. And nothing and no one can be ever be considered in this state that you would worship. Satan is certainly tricky as we kind of think about this. Let's say that the horrible scenario that Christ would take the deal. But if he has gained the whole, all the kingdoms of the world, he was still under the submission of the devil. He knew that. Three tests. I quickly went over it, and I know that that was quick, but we need to digest it a little bit. You see, if you're talking about Jesus Christ at the beginning of his ministry, knowing that he's going to have to go to the cross, we need to understand certain things here. And people would come to this verse and talk about the issue of, of his impeccability. There are two, two, uh, two views Impeccability of Christ, Christ could not sin. The peccability of Christ, Christ could sin. You kind of go, whoa, are you, that's crazy to say that. But they both camps agree that he did not sin, according to the Bible. But the question on each side is, they throw each other for the impeccability camp. God, 
Christ cannot sin. Well, how can Christ sin if he is the Lamb of God without blemish? On the other side, the peccability of Christ's camp will say, well, how can Christ be really be tempted if he cannot sin? Let me read you some verses that certainly we want to go to Scripture to drive our thinking and theology. 1 Peter 2.22, 2, uh, 2, He did no sin. 1 John 3.5, In him is no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He knew no sin. Hebrews 4.15, He was without sin. Hebrews 7.26, he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. But the reason why I bring that up is, if you believe that he is immutable, unchangeable, meaning that eternity past, he has no sin. Eternity future, in heaven, he has no sin. Then, relative today, he has no sin. See, each camp will continue to debate, if you will, and it's been debated for a long time. And, and, and the impeccability camp will say, look, we're not saying that. The issue of being tempted, he can't be tempted. The illustration is to say, let's say that there's a big tanker boat, can't be moved. doesn't mean that a little tugboat can never crash into it. it he can't be tempted, but he will not be moved. Right, but that still doesn't explain it all. I know that some of you guys are pretty bright out there. You kind of go, well, that doesn't satiate my thinking as you deal with it. Can Christ be tempted and tested? And, and this is how one professor helped me to understand, okay? Human nature, temptation comes to us. Christ has two natures, human nature, divine nature. Temptation comes. But you know that on this side, he cannot sin. We just read all those passages. The temptations did come, but he cannot sin. Then you, then you ask the next question, what does he What does he? How does he feel about it? I mean, does it affect him? It does. It does. In Hebrews 4, 15, For we do not have a high priest, this is Jesus Christ talking about, right? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are with, yet without sin. He has been tempted in all ways. He sympathized. The word is together suffered. That's the compound. So does he feel, feel the pull of sin? He does feel the pull of sin. Matthew chapter 26 let me read to you. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and, he, and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took 
with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You know, and you're familiar with that passage. Our Savior is crying to his Father about all the sin of this world we put upon him so he would pay for our punishment. I don't know what this line looks like between the human nature and the divine nature and how it merges, but the fact of the matter is he felt it, and actually he felt even more than we ever, ever be ever tempted. I have never been tempted to be able to turn something into bread. But sometimes I kind of feel like as in the theology realm, I think we miss the point sometimes as we almost, if you will, as a personal opinion that it is the fringe answer, that a uh, question that we're answering. The reason, let me, let me state my case. As we look at this in this passage, Christ is not saying, look, I'm the son of God. I'm going to pull a shirt back and show you the S. Well, how did he, how did he deal with the devil? He said, it stands written. What does that mean? It is not a, um, let me me get into this a little bit. It stands written. He didn't say, my daddy said. He didn't say, my father has taught me. It's not a sentimental issue. It's not a relational issue. He says, it has been written before me. He already put it down, and it affects, happens now. As much as gravity affects any physical solid mass, as much as the sun gives heat to sun, sunshine that wherever it hits, whatever was written in the past affects his son right now. His own son. And every human on the planet. And, and then as if to say it, you kind of think about it more and more. And as I thought about it, he is defending his father's authority. God has already told us. It carries the past emphatic desire of God to our lives. The almighty God has shown his power already to how to deal with life. What does that mean to us? I need to come to close. I don't know about you. I don't think a lot of us here has been tested to the point that we need food and desperately. Maybe I just heard a brother that might be out of work. Be laid off. What do you do? Is God still there? It stands written. He will provide. What if I'm, I'm, 
I'm not sure he's there, and I don't feel secure. And, and I, I do, can I do something to be able to prove that God is still there? No, you shouldn't test him. What if I could? I don't want to go down that road. I know I have to go down a road. I'm willing to sacrifice anything not to go through suffering. No. You stick to the Lord your God. You worship him only. I have a friend that um, recently, um, he's a pastor, and, and, and his dad had passed away from cancer. and uh, It was a tough, tough loss, and uh, I understand that because I lost my father at the same time, uh, not at the same time, but, you know, as, as well. And he's cleaning the house, and he found his father's Bible. And he realized that he was going to, he realized, oh, no, excuse me, let me add this correctly. He found the Bible that his father gave him, that's more correct. And he, his father wrote in there a love note to him saying, I, I don't know exactly what it says. It's certainly in the sense that I hope that you use this as your anchor and use this as your foundation. And he would show it to me with a smile that my father's written this for me. And I think about it more in this passage. Hear me out. Would I say that about the Bible for the rest of them other than what in the front page? My heavenly father has written this. It stands. It affects me now. I know that I might not have enough to eat. I, I have to deal with how am I going to deal with my sustenance. I'm hungry. But it's already said. He already said it. You see, all three of those tests and in the, the rebuttal, it all goes back to the Israelite and it's relational. Meaning that my father would provide. You should not live on bread alone. What he said. Don't test him and don't, don't, don't put your relationship with him at a test because you feel insecure. You worry about what's ahead. You think that's what's going to happen and it might even be. But you willing to jeopardize the fact that you would worship something else? It almost have to say, you don't know what you're doing. You understand that. I hope that to challenge you today, and it, my challenge to you is identify some insecurities and why. Who is this God that you believe in? Does how you feel muddled how you feel about God? Do I embrace God so tight that the circumstances will be seen through His eyes? Is your relationship with God will stem from that. 
because I could quickly, from the beginning, I would say, just read your Bible. Do your devotions. No, I'm not going to exhort you that. I need to exhort you that you need to love this God so that you know what he said. Somebody say to you, give it up. No, it stands written. He already wrote it down. And it's going to affect me today. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord God, please forgive us if we have lack of faith and we're short-sighted. But I'm so thankful that you have pinned down your word and your son would even bring your word to bear that affects his life. I do pray for all of us here that by your grace that we'll be firm with our relationship with you that nothing will shake us. And I pray for ones that who are not sure about you today. They have not made a decision. They have not heard about your love for them that you lovingly this Jesus will go down the role of suffering so that he would die for our sins. Father, as we go from here, may you be ponder upon me. May we resolve those baggages of insecurities before you and lay bare for the fact that we will worship you with all our hearts, mind, and strength. And so, help us to be able to see who you are. For you have sent your son to do that, and he has modeled that for us. Thank you, Father. Pray us in Jesus.